And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go. Time for some fun. Buckle up, everybody, because it's Monday. And this is going to be one of those shows where you might or might not enjoy the topic. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being here. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. The phone number, if you want to be part of the program, THX1138. I'm kidding. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Our Twitch channel now sporting 85 followers. We're looking for 100 so we can start our watch parties again. So go check that out, twitch.tv slash sci-fi for me. The comments are open. The chat is live if you want to be a part of the conversation, if you are here with us live. If you're not live with us, you can still leave us a comment. Or you can send an email anytime with your thoughts or topic suggestions or guest suggestions live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And if you prefer podcast format... Uh, you can hear Sci-Fi for Me Radio, this program, and the H2O podcast both over on iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Double Twist, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Listen Notes. And there may be some others out there that we're not aware of. All of you new subscribers, welcome to the channel. Hope you stick around. Find something you like. Before YouTube takes you away, I think we've we've had some of that going on. So, just the way it goes. We are on also all the social media channels, and uh, we do have a newsletter. It just went out this morning. You can sign up for that over at SciFiForMe.com or in the show notes. There's a link there. Tonight. One hour early, we've got a special H2O podcast episode. We are going to be discussing the Snyder Cut. Mr. Harvey and I have both watched it at least twice. We have thoughts. So we're going to be talking about that tonight at 8 p.m. Uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. It's one hour early from the usual time. So you want to make a note? Tomorrow, we're going to have the creators of the Heroinberg Comics Universe here with us. And then on Wednesday, Judah Engelmeyer, who is a PR and crisis communications expert, he's been in the Ranker Pit a couple of times talking specifically about the PR problems that Lucasfilm and Disney are having with regard to Star Wars. But we're going to have him in for a conversation that's a little bit more broad about corporate communications and PR and stuff what's going on right now with social media and the cancel culture and that kind of thing. So tune in for that on Wednesday. Today, speaking of cancel culture, we're going to get into this rewriting Ripley mess because why not? 
we could dive in just like everybody else, right? Uh-huh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Oh, hello, Stephanie Janicek in the chat. Welcome. Thanks for being here. All right, so here's here's one day. We normally, as a matter of policy, I generally try to avoid diving into drama. We we try to to stay off to the sideline, and we'll watch, and we'll bring popcorn. Uh, but I don't I don't generally engage uh, with this stuff just simply because one, it's there's so much of it. And keeping track of it is essentially a full-time job that I don't have the full time for. But occasionally, something will pop up that merits conversation and comment, and this is one of them. This is the article from Rewriting Ripley over on Medium. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna link to it. Uh, there is an archived copy of it. As a matter of fact, there are several of them at various different points in time. Uh, I will need to go back and look and see if anything has changed. But this is the earliest archive of it. The headline, this is over on Medium, the rewriting Ripley account. The headline, in plain sight, how white supremacy, misogyny, and hate targeted the Star Wars sequel trilogy and won. (sighs) There is so much wrong with this article. Because I've gone through it. It It is a tome. It is a very, very, very long article with lots of detail and information and graphics and spreadsheets and charts and everything. And everything in this article is a misrepresentation, a preconceived notion, or an outright fabrication. This article perpetuates a narrative that anybody that does not like the the last Jedi specifically but the Disney the Disney trilogy in general is a racist, is a sexist, is a bigot, is a member of the alt right. And I take exception to that. Now we're not mentioned specifically in this article. We're not big enough. But I have had conversations with the staff here, and I've mentioned it before, that we, once we get big enough of a footprint in social media, you know, 10,000 subscribers on YouTube or whatever, at some point we're going to get on somebody's radar. And it is, it is fascinating in the sense of watching a, a, an automobile accident or a train wreck to watch this kind of behavior from these people. And Stephanie, yes, uh, it is a swamp of mental instability by two young girls who don't understand reality. I, I would, I would hesitate to characterize it that definitively because there are some questions as to who actually wrote it. Now I know you've got the two hosts of the podcast, the Rewriting Ripley podcast. And I will admit, I have not watched the video they've put together that basically slanders everybody in the fandom menace and people who are not even part of the fandom menace. They're lumping everyone all together. But I find it fascinating, interesting, that this article traces the critics of The Last Jedi 
and their connection all the way back through Gamergate, Steve Bannon, Breitbart, Milo Yiannopoulos, Ben Shapiro, Rush Limbaugh, and the and the cancellation of the Fairness Doctrine. I mean, this is a deep dive, and it is a very far reach. Now, this came out March 11th in Medium. And the connections that it makes and the, the, the position that it takes regarding radicalization of fans is so skewed and so one-sided. It's obvious just from reading this because it does not give any examples of the toxic behavior on the left. It only details behaviors on, I don't want to say even the right, because a lot of the people that are cited in this article, cherry-picked, taken out of context, they are not on the right. Clownfish TV is not on the right. Quartering is not on the right. Mecharandum, not on the right. They are not conservatives. They're not Republicans. They don't claim to be on the right. As a matter of fact, they say just the opposite. Stephanie says, I've done some work for Breitbart, I've torn this to smithereens. And and it sh as it should be. This this is an utter I I don't I I'll say I'll say it's more of a misrepresentation than it is a fabrication because in like anything, you can take comments and social media posts and video clips and you can take them out of context and you can make that say whatever you want it to say. And it's obvious from this article that they have drawn the conclusion first. They have assumed their position, as it were. And then they have gone through and searched for material that would support the position that they take, the allegations that they make. And it's not very much different than what Jason Sandberg did here a few weeks ago when he did his hit piece on the ban uh, social forums. Same kind of thing. You pick and choose. You take what supports your notions you take what supports your narrative and you ignore everything else. We'll call it the, the FISA method of documentation, the FBI method of documentation, shall we? I mean, this is nothing new. The media does this kind of thing all the time. They decide what the story is and then they find the facts to match. Facts, quote, unquote, so-called. What's different about this situation this time, because this is not the first time this kind of thing has happened, nor will it be the last, but this time there is a difference because there's pushback. There are people who look at this and say, no, that's not the way it is. And there's quite definitive pushback. There are people who are deciding that enough is enough, as they should. 
And over the weekend, in, you know, the end of last week into the weekend, this whole narrative started to fall apart. Data Racer 117, uh, who's done a, a massive amount of work on this kind of thing, gathering information about behaviors and patterns and recognizing when things are not exactly what they seem. He does a very good job of collecting screen captures to illustrate the hypocrisy of these folks. And he managed to identify one of the rewriting Ripley authors, quote unquote, one of the podcast hosts. Both of them have since been identified. And just from looking at all of the information and the material on these people, one, they're Raylos. This is a category of Star Wars Disney fan who thinks that the relationship between Kylo Ren and Rey is a good relationship. They ship it. It's romantic. They love this couple. And of course, Ryan Johnson has fed into that by saying, well, of course there was there was romance in the second in the in 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 the last Jedi. And people seem to want to ignore just how toxic and abusive that relationship is. Uh, the, the comic book equivalent would be Joker and Harley Quinn. <coughs> that is not a healthy relationship. And the Raylo ship is not a healthy one either. Mazers, hello in the chat. Welcome. He says, they do a lot more than ship it, but going to keep what they do PG. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm aware. I'm aware. See, and this goes back to what I've said before about when Tumblr deleted the porn, all of those people with their blue hair and their lack of self-confidence and their, and their jealousy all of them moved over to Twitter. And Twitter became the new Tumblr where a lot of this happened. The fanships and the and and the, you know, if you don't like this, then you're a terrible person type of thing. But Data Racer 117 and the quartering boosted this. Uh, they had the receipts detailing the toxic behavior of these two people, most especially one of them, Katie McCourt, who has written articles before, hit pieces, and is a very active Raylo shipper. And that seems to be a prerequisite for whatever reason and I'm not going to get into all of the tweets. I mean, if you data racer one, one seven on Twitter, he's got, he's got the stuff and I don't want to, I don't want to steal his thunder, but he's done a very good piece of work collecting all of this. And the quartering has, uh, has some stuff as well. And whatever you may think about Jeremy over at the quartering, the information is there. 
He just happens to be the one who who is is sharing it and reporting it. Data Racer is the same way. You you don't have to like the messenger because the message is bad. Uh, Stephanie says, "I think Kate went after one of my Twitter accounts. She's crazy. I I'm not gonna. I I don't know enough about her to know, but the behavior." certainly would indicate some questions as to the emotional health, certainly, of some of these people. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, that these are emotionally constipated junior high mean girls. And in this particular case, it is you know junior high mean girls on steroids. Because this kind of, of pattern we've seen before. Now, this also pops up over on Kiwi Farms. Now, Kiwi Farms is hit and miss. There, there's a lot over there that mm, you, questionable, you know, put your, put your hip boots on. But this is an interesting thread because it not only takes Data Racer's information, but it also goes through some of the other possible connections between the two people who are purported to have written this article and who host the podcast and who might have actually written the article. We're going to get into that here in a minute because this article, for all of the toxic misinformation and fabrications that are a part of it, it is a well-crafted piece of work. I will give props to whoever wrote it because it does make a very solid case using all of the different examples and, and data and information and all of that. Now, it's fabricated in that you're taking the conclusion first and finding the supporting data rather than investigate all of the information, compile all the information, and come to a conclusion part, past that. Uh, there's this, this is not the scientific method here. They are, they are making an assumption and then going off of whatever information will support that assumption and tossing everything else. But it is a well-written article. It is an opinion piece for the most part, because that's what Medium is as a site. I don't consider this to be a news report. This is someone's opinion. This is someone crafting a point of view about certain segments of fandom. And it applies not just to the fandom menace, quote-unquote, you, you could apply this to, you know, they, they make the reach trying to connect this kind of thing with Comicsgate and Gamergate and all of the different types of fans that are out there who don't like message fiction. And this turns it into a broader discussion because for the last few years... We've seen this with the Hugos, we've seen it with the video games, we've seen it with comic books, we've seen it with literature, and now into movies and TV. The message becomes more important than entertaining. 
And there's nothing wrong with having a message in your in your stories. That kind of thing has happened since day one, since there was stories ever existing. Messages and, you know, the moral of the story, that there's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes your priority, when that becomes the most important thing in the room that takes up all of the oxygen in the room and you don't have any more space for the story, then you lose something. And when a lot of these stories lead, because we get, we get press releases all the time, we see news articles and all of these different things, and when the publicity of a thing leads with skin color and gender and plumbing, you don't have very much of a story. Sell me on the story. Tell me what the story is about. I don't care if your lead character is gay. I don't care if your lead character has purple hair. I don't care if your lead character has three eyes. I don't care if your lead character is check the box, fill in the blank. I don't care. What is the story about? How does the character move through the story in an arc of development that makes me invest in this character, that makes me invest in the story? I don't identify with every single lead character in every single book, comic book, movie that I read, watch. I don't identify with Honor Harrington, for example. I love David Weber's books, but I don't identify with Honor Harrington. I don't have to identify with Honor Harrington in order to enjoy the books. One, I'm not a woman. Two, I'm not in the military. Three, this is not 3,000 years from now. Four, I've never lived in a monarchy. I've never had a bionic eye or a bionic arm. I don't have a, a, a telepathic cat. I don't, have to, I don't have to identify with Honor Harrington. I don't take prolong. I'm going to die before I'm 100. All right? I'm not going to live three or 400 years. But I don't have to in order to enjoy those stories because the stories are well-crafted. Tom Clancy. I don't have to identify with, with uh, uh, Jack Ryan. I've never been in the CIA. I've never been in the military. I've never had my back broken in a helicopter accident. Those are incidental. The story is what matters. And Star Wars is the same way. Star Trek is the same way. Now, Star Trek arguably would give us characters with which we could identify. Spock the Outsider. Data, the outsider who wants to fit in. Superman, adopted by a family who wants him, 
loves him, teaches him how to be a good person. I don't identify with Batman. I'm not rich. My parents are still alive. I do identify with Superman more than that because Superman was taught the same as I was. Respect people. Have compassion for people. Treat people as though they matter. Mazur says, the people they try to cite in The Phantom Menace have nothing to do with Steve Bannon, for example. It's assumed guilt by perceived political labeling. That's exactly what it is. I have never gotten a check from Steve Bannon. I'm still waiting for my checks to come from the U.S. government that they promised me. But I'm not expecting a check from Steve Bannon or Breitbart. I'm also not part of the access media, and that's part of the narrative here that gets that gets pushed out because you have, like we saw with the Gina Carano thing, you have media that will latch onto the narrative that they want to push forward. That a lot of these fans are toxic. A lot of these fans are racist. Look at how they treated Kelly Marie Tran. All right, show me. I see a lot of examples and criticism directed toward the character of Rose Tico. And if, if there are people out there who have hated on Kelly Marie Tran simply because she's Asian, that's not acceptable either. But I've not seen anybody on this, on this group that has is, that is done any of that. I've watched the videos from a number of these guys. I've interacted with some of them. I don't get a sense at all that any of them are racist or sexist. You look at who makes up the fandom menace or Comicsgate to extend that. There are people from all walks of life, all political ideologies, all ethnicities, both genders. That'll trigger someone. And all of this can be really easily and quickly debunked with a few moments on Google, YouTube. Take a look. But the question of who actually wrote this, I find to be an interesting one. Because as soon as the narrative started to break down, and these folks were identified, the tone of the Twitter account attached to rewriting Ripley changed. And people made note of it, and people were looking at how things kind of devolved, as it were. And there is now speculation. Of course, you know, right from the beginning, people were wondering if this was a hit piece that was commissioned by Lucasfilm. I don't think that's the case, and I don't think that a PR company put this together. But... There is a question as to whether or not it was somehow connected with Lucasfilm. And the reason for that is because it's connected 
to Lucasfilm. So let me go through here a few screenshots of some different things and take you through a narrative, as it were. This is one of the authors, one of the podcast hosts. Informal Majesty is the account. Now, we're blocked from Informal Majesty. These are screenshots. Don't contact any of these people. Let's do that disclaimer fast and loud. Don't contact any of these people. Valkyrie Art is the other purported author of this, the co-hosts of the podcast that goes along with it. Now, it's interesting to note that uh, Informal Majesty especially has had some interesting interactions on Twitter, including Daniel Jose Older, who is a member of the Star Wars story group. And also Matt Martin, also a member of the Star Wars story group. Matt Martin, by the way, is the one who said, canon doesn't matter, it's all made up anyway. You may remember that. And the response to some of this has been really, 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 really interesting. So here's one. You know, Valkyrie Art and Informal Majesty. This is some of the tweets that have, con that have made that connection that these two people were, were a part of this, were the ones that set this up. Here's Pablo Hidalgo interacting and following the rewriting Ripley account. And there's some question here. I mean, here's Ryan, here's Ryan Johnson refor, uh, responding to Informal Majesty. Now, Informal Majesty has been identified as Katie McCord. Her information is public. We're not doxing anybody. That connection has been made in several places. These folks are unhinged because if you look at some of the responses, here's one. Let's kill someone. I know we like to stay PG-13 on this, but here's knives. A screenshot of some somebody holding a sign wanting me to kill them. They've been trying to deplatform uh, Ethan Van Skyver's channel and others. But the connection to Pablo Hidalgo and Matt Martin and David Jose Older makes for an interesting thread of connection. Makes for an interesting thread of questions. And then, of course, the threats started. Now, here is uh, back a ways an older tweet that establishes them as Raylos. 
and that they are connected, Valkyrie art and informal majesty. This is, this is here, 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 and here's a photograph of them. Their information is not being doxxed. Now, here's Michelle Buckman. Who is Michelle Buckman? Michelle Buckman used to be, I don't know if she still is, used to be the social media manager for Lucasfilm. And here is a thread. Here is her calling for any academics who are experts in fandom and digital culture. And the, and the reach on this is where the question now of authorship comes in. The question of authorship on this re rewriting Ripley article. Because I said, you know, it's a very well-written, it's a very well-crafted article. I'm not sure that those two people wrote it. There is now a suspicion, and I will say it is a suspicion only, that someone maybe like Michelle Buckman actually wrote the article. Because it is pointed out over here on this Kiwi Farms thread that the two people who wrote it don't meet the qualifications about that are described in the About the Author section. The author of the rewriting Ripley article purports to have won a Webby Award. Now, neither of the authors connected to the article have won Webbies, but Michelle Buckman has. And through various different connections and threads and discussions, it appears that she has made connections to the academics that are cited in the article. So this is all a big... You scratch my back, I scratch yours type of thing. But does it also set up Valkyrie art and informal majesty as scapegoats. They're the ones who will fall on their swords, as it were, and fall victim to the pushback, the counterattacks, the defensive moves that basically pull this narrative apart. Because it's already falling apart. It's already being proven to be a, a false narrative to a certain extent. And I find it interesting that nobody writes an article about the toxic behavior on the left with such detail and clarity. Plenty of information. Now, Ichibaka has done some over at Disney Star Wars is Dumb, his blog. He has since retired. He says that the firing of Gina Carano was the straw that broke the camel's back. He was done. But he's done some very thorough research into some of this documenting the toxic behavior of the left, very much like this article does. But it doesn't happen that often. And I'm sure there's a, there's a reason for that. The media is in the tank for the left. We know that. The media likes to set the narrative that the alt-right is the threat, the existential threat to the country. Nobody talks about the alt-right, or, or excuse me, the alt-left. And I would, I would say that the alt-left is not really the alt. 
for the most part, the progressive left, the most vocal of the left, the most toxic, are not alt. They are the mainstream left now. They are the ones driving the bus. Hello, Robert in the chat. Welcome. Uh, Mazur says the original Star Wars trilogy will still be uh, will be talked about in 400 years if the Earth survives that long. It will join the ranks of Aesop's fables and the like. And that is an apt comparison because the original Star Wars trilogy was mythology. We've talked about it on the H2O podcast. It is it is modern mythology. And it's George Lucas internalizing a lot of things, not just Joseph Campbell, but also the, the Saturday morning serials, you know, the Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon type of, of films from the 30s. Mythology, Greek and, and Roman mythology, the fables like you're talking about, the, the you know, Grimm's fairy tales, all of, all of those things are in there. And... There's a uh, uh, Matt Cli- Mike Climo. What's Climo's first name? That wrote the the Ring Theory document. Matt Climo or Mike? I can't remember. Um, the Ring Theory discussion is a fascinating examination of the first six Star Wars films, and then we have George Lucas himself coming on to a to a, a Zoom call with a charter school in uh back in october basically saying well disney somebody else somebody else has control of star wars now and they've gone in a direction that i would not have gone he's basically thrown disney under the bus with the sequels so that's going to be a thing so is 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 george lucas part of the alt-right because that, that seems to be the criteria here. Is George Lucas a racist? Because if Bill Burr is a racist for marrying a black woman and putting her under subjugation, that, that blew up really quick. But if Bill Burr is a racist for marrying a black woman, does that make George Lucas a racist for marrying a black woman? A successful black woman, I should add. A CEO. And they've both been very successful in terms of finance and business, entrepreneurship. The pushback on this article is interesting to watch. It's also heartening to watch that people have finally had enough. People have said, okay, this is not acceptable behavior anymore. It wasn't really acceptable behavior before, but we let it pass to the detriment of society, as it were. And it might be too late, but maybe not. We talked about this on the uh, Ranker Pit last week. The the article, the opinion, the op-ed piece here that ran also on March 11th, by the way. Hmm, interesting. Same day. I, you know what? Okay, hold on. 
Let me let me look at something here because that has me wondering. I just want to look at something here. I'm just curious about something. Okay, it doesn't give me a timestamp on that article. I wonder wonder how I can find a timestamp. I don't see a timestamp on here. But it's it's March 11th is when this article, this rewriting Ripley article, came out. And then also on March 11th, I don't know which one came first, but that might be, that might actually be a thing here. But also on March 11th, this article in Forbes, this is from Gene Delvecchio, an op-ed piece, talking about how Disney's firing of Gina Carano indicates that there is not sound management going on at Disney or Lucasfilm. And he talks about the hypocrisy of firing Gina Carano and keeping Pedro Pascal when they made social media posts that are in the same vein. It can be compared. I don't think you're categorizing Gina's posts accurately still, but if you go with the narrative that Gina posted an anti-Semitic tweet and then, you know, the whole Nazi thing, and then you look at what Pedro Pascal posted, and he didn't so much as get a slap on the wrist. Uh, Del Vecchio makes a good point that that there is clearly, at least on the outside looking in, a double standard when it comes to how Disney handles their employees and social media. Now, who is Gene Del Vecchio? We sent him an email. We invited him to come on to the Ranker Pit to talk about this article. He is a professor, an adjunct professor of marketing. He's also a PR guy. He's been in the business for a very long time. Uh, and he he responded back to our invitation, basically saying everything everything I had to say was in the article. Thanks for the invite. Okay, that's not, that's fine. He doesn't want to dive into it. And I can understand that. I mean, he's making himself a target just with this one article alone. But who is he? Gene Delvecchio is an adjunct professor of marketing. He, among the very many hats that he wears, he's on the he's on the faculty at USC Marshall. This is University of Southern California. And it hit me this morning. USC. Why does this sound like something I've heard before? Why am I making a connection here between this article from Gene Del Vecchio about Disney and Lucasfilm and Gene Del Vecchio at USC? And oh, hey, remember when George Lucas gave $175 million to USC? And then. When the George Lucas Family Foundation added to that with some other $20 million to USC? I, I could just be seeing things here. But what if I'm not? What if... And Cameron Pasha has talked about this on several live streams. Uh, he had made the prediction 
that at some point with regard to Kathleen Kennedy's tenure at Lucasfilm, at some point, somebody's going to decide that it's time for her to go. And you were going to start seeing articles that call into question some of this. And, and for, the, for the questions to pop up during the investor call was ve- very telling in Cameron's view. He's been on the program a couple of times as well. And he made the prediction that at some point the narrative was going to start to fall apart and you were going to start seeing articles like this one in Forbes. Uh, but he also says that this one in Forbes is a nuke in terms of the amount of damage that it can do. And there is speculation that maybe this came out of Bob Chapek's art office sort of as a preemptive maneuver in order to give Chapek the cover to do something about Kathleen Kennedy and look like the good guy, ultimately, you know, sacrifice his reputation in the short form in order for the long term he could come out to be the hero and say, all right, yeah, we need to do something about this. I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know. That's the chatter. I don't, I don't put stock in anything that I hear. I, I have bags of salt at the ready for everything. Uh, Eastland in the chat, welcome. Uh, in real life, I was called a troublemaker, and it was said I was bothering people. I said, what specific things have I done or said? It was all over town I was, that I was, but no specific actions or words. That's how it happens. It's these general things that what gets said and they don't back them up and and if they do back them up they're backing them up with stuff that's taken out of context it's very easy to tell a lie with the truth if you know how to do it and i can tell you right now 32 years in media i could probably do it It doesn't take much. I don't. It's not ethical to do that. It's not honest to do that. And I think the folks over here at Rewriting Ripley are dishonest and unethical and unprincipled and a little bit unhinged. That's my opinion. And this is an opinion show. And you are perfectly welcome to disagree with my opinion. If this is not what you think is happening, then then that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. But I question the motivations of all of this. Always in in this this is something that that I hold as a as a matter of principle. Let the story play out before you have an opinion. Let the story play out and let the facts come out and, fi- and and eventually the story generally will change. Eventually the story becomes the truth-ish. And eventually we find out things that people didn't want us to find out and it changes the complexion of the story. It changes the narrative. It sometimes will destroy the narrative. 
And the firing of Gina Carano seems to be the, the, the moment of truth for a lot of people. Because Gina didn't go away. And her fans didn't go away. And the people who are critical of The Last Jedi have not gone away. As a matter of fact, they have grown in their notoriety and their visibility over on YouTube. We haven't, and that's fine. But we're not over there, you know, we're not outrage media. We're not, we're not taking every opportunity that we have to complain and gripe and criticize things. We try to stay fair, mostly. I have opinions. Everybody here has opinions. We don't all share the same opinion. Uh, Stephanie Janicek making the point, Ripley's is a battlefield prep. If Kennedy's shown the door, the fans will be blamed. Maybe? I don't know, because when her contract was renewed for three years, right before, uh, before the, the, the rise of Skywalker and such, it was a three-year contract. So we know already going into it that September, October, her contract is done. How they play that, I think, is probably going to be affected by the narrative more than the fact that she's done. Uh, because I don't see a scenario, because now the investors are getting involved. Now the investors are starting to ask questions. And I don't see a scenario where Kathleen Kennedy has much of a chance to stay. I'm, I'm going out on a limb there, but it doesn't seem like that there's a win in that category if they keep Kathleen Kennedy. I am going to guess, and this is a complete guess, this is pure speculation on my part, but based on information that we have had that's out there, based on stuff we've seen, based on stuff we've heard, my guess is that Kennedy will either retire. I don't think that's likely. I think she'll still go somewhere. She will hang up her producer shingle and start her own production company. And she'll take a third, maybe, half of the Lucasfilm staff, the, her, her loyalists will go with her and they'll set up a production, uh, a production shingle somewhere, whether it's at Disney or someplace else. And she'll get a development deal and she'll go off and she'll go make her own things. And the force can be female wherever it wants. Good luck. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And it'll be all, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and smiling for the cameras, and nobody will acknowledge that there was a problem. I don't think Indiana Jones 5 is ever going to get made. I know people are saying that she's going to stick around for that. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think she will decide, or they will, they will present it as... It's time to do something new. 
it's time to go look for new opportunities, blah, 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 blah. And she'll go set up somewhere on her own. Very much like, uh, uh, what's her name did Sony, uh, who was the Sony, the Sony one that got, she produces the Marvel, the, the Sony Marvel things. What's her name? Somebody help me out. Cause I can't remember her name now. Uh, Amy Pascoe. Amy Pascoe was president of Sony when that email hack happened. And there was controversy and there were problems and, and there was there was issues. And she went off and set up her own production company and resigned as president of Sony. And she made out fine. Kennedy will do the same kind of thing where... She will leave amidst controversy and she'll set up her own production company and she'll be fine. And her production company might even get development deals for certain parts of the Star Wars IP, maybe. Instead of Lucasfilm doing it, maybe, in cooperation as a co-production or something, the Acolyte might become a Kennedy-Lucasfilm co-production. This is all pure speculation at this point. We won't know until September, October. Maybe sooner if they decide one way or the other what's going to happen. But I feel 90-ish percent sure that she's not going to stay. Because in the long term, the people what put money into the product, buying tickets, buying action figures, buying the comic books and the novels and the video games, will stop buying those things. At least they'll stop buying as much as they have in the past. Because we've already seen it. The toy stores don't stock the action figures near as much like they used to. And, and the sequel trilogy stuff doesn't sell. Disney knows that they have a problem. And if Kennedy stays, the problem stays. And the people who are the fans will stop buying the merch. They stop buying the merch, then the bottom falls out of the Star Wars franchise. We saw a little bit of that with Solo. People did not go back for repeated viewings. Those that even bothered to go to the movie at all. You didn't have people going in seeing the movie three or four or five or 20 or 50 times in the theater. You had people that stayed away from that one, and Solo lost money. It can happen again. It will happen again if Disney doesn't make some kind of course correction. And it has to be a public course correction. It doesn't have to be an ugly one. 
excuse me, they don't have to sit there and go, Kevin Kennedy is toxic, we're getting rid of her. They're not going to do that. Everybody will come out smelling like a rose when the change happens. Because we've already heard the corporate speak from Bob Chapek basically saying, oh, we love working with Kathy. Well, he's not going to say anything to rock the boat. He's not going to say anything that's going to affect, negatively impact the stock price. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what matters before anything else. How is our stock price? Because the value of the company is attached to that. And if the value of the company diminishes and drops, then heads will start to roll, Bob Chapex being among them. He's got to keep his job. And if it comes down to, like this Forbes article is starting to, to do, you know, shots fired there. If it comes down to a choice between Bob Chapek and Kathleen Kennedy, Bob Chapek is going to win. Because Bob Chapek is higher up on the totem pole. Sorry, Kathy, we're going to kick you out. I don't know what's going to happen. But the fandom menace, such as it is, the fans who don't like The Last Jedi, however you want to categorize them, however you want to describe them, alt-right, toxic, sexist, bigot, homophobe, whatever, we're not. I don't like The Last Jedi. I am not a sexist. I'm not a racist. I take offense to being categorized that way. I don't care what you look like. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care about your plumbing. The Last Jedi was a crap movie, badly written, poorly executed. It's pretty. Cinematography on it is fantastic. And John Williams, of course, always delivering a solid musical score. But it's a crap movie. So we'll see what happens. As the narrative continues to fall apart on this rewriting Ripley thing, and it will continue to fall apart, and they'll continue to damsel and sit there and say, all my death threats and people are coming after us and harassment and doxing and all of that when it's not happening. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Mazur says, to quote Steph, The Last Jedi is the McDonald's of filmmaking. I don't even know if it if it if it qualifies for that much quality to be honest. We'll continue to monitor and of course I I'm sure we will be talking about this in the ranker pit more again. And it'll come up I'm sure on Wednesday when we talk to Judah Judah Engelmeyer here. But in the overall context of the PR stuff uh, I think it's interesting to look at what's going on with Star Wars and what's going on with uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and all of the stuff that's going on with Warner Brothers trying to figure out DC. There are plenty of things to talk about. So we'll be covering that on Wednesday when Judah's in here. Tomorrow, Heroin Berg, the, the, uh, the comics uh, creators behind that, will be here to talk about that. It's an interesting project because not only do they have uh, comics, indie, indie comics, published as part of this, and I think it's set in Pittsburgh, but they also have a web series 
that's attached to this. So it's part of a bigger creative endeavor. So we'll be talking to them about that. And of course, tonight at 8 p.m. Central, 7, uh, no, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, we'll have a, a special two-hour uh, H2O podcast where we're going to be talking about the Snyder Cut. So we hope you join us for that. In the meantime, make sure that you are still subscribed to the channel. If you are not subscribed yet, we do invite you to consider doing so. Have your notifications turned on. And this just continues to go. And we will just manage as we're able. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, things will calm down one of these days. You never know. So that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Don't forget, you can leave us a comment. Or you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com, especially if you want to suggest guests for us to invite onto the show. Uh, we do invite your feedback that way. And, uh, of course, you can always leave a comment. Connect with us over on social media. Remember a couple of things here, folks. When the useful idiot is no longer useful, he is still an idiot. And as always, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.